Good day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 110, a treat for the eyes and nose. I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Kim as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? Fabulous Alex, and greetings to all from Australia. And greetings from Canada, so you know, just very far countries, but we're close at heart, and this conversation is going to bring us even closer, correct? Indeed, indeed. Awesome, I cannot wait. You are my first ge- get. I was going to say geest, you're my first guest from Australia. I don't know why I said it like that, but you are my first guest from Australia and I always love doing this. I have this little project where I want to try to have a guest from every country around the world and you're just contributing to that, which is awesome. My pleasure. Now, before we go into the topic of floral art, I'm sure the guests, or not the guests, the, see, now I have the word guest stuck in my head. I'm sure the listeners would love to learn more about Kim. So if you don't mind me asking, who is Kim? Alex, my journey has been quite interesting, I would say. I actually, after high school, studied to be an architect and worked as an architect for a couple of years, but found that a love that I had through my high school years was needed in the architecture and engineering fields, and that was public speaking. So I actually transformed from an architect into a teacher of public speaking and a coach of public speaking for architects and engineers. And I did that for most of my corporate life. I was a little bit involved in quality management and training in those areas as that was introduced into the architectural engineering fields. And then I made a decision that I needed to give myself some time. I had a career and I I was happy with my career. And so my parents had a property out of Sydney, which is where I was working in my corporate life. So about an hour and a half, two hours drive away from Sydney. So most of you will know where Sydney is on the east coast of Australia. (laughs) And I came to the farm and threw myself into that lifestyle. I still did a lot of consulting for the public speaking side of things. And by that stage, some of the coaching was online as well. So that gave me another outlet that didn't tie me to an office. But the farm was very much a retirement farm for my parents. They had come from much larger property, a lot further away. And so they were experimenting, I guess, with things that they could sell at what we call the farm gate. So on the roadside, outside the farm. And they developed some local market research and a need, uh, identified a need for flowers for people for all sorts of reasons. And so they started growing flowers. And this was at the stage where I came and my parents were starting to get to a point where they wanted some help or they didn't want to do it as much. So I took over a lot of the floral side of things. And in growing them, I was interested in how people were using them. And so that led me to going to a lot of the agricultural shows that we have around this country where they show the specimen of a flower, so so the perfect bloom, the cut of a bloom. But beside that, there are all these things that people have made with flowers, with plant material that were depicting certain titles that they had been given. And that led to floral art. And that was about 15 years ago. And since then, I have competed and I do compete. Uh, in, In a year, in a 12 month period of time, I probably do about 60 competitive designs and that be anything from the local shows to the world show so uh, in February this year I went to my third world show and that was in Jaipur in India the previous they held every three years the the previous one to that was in Barbados and the one before that was in Dublin so they're always in a different country it's a bit like the Olympics of flower arranging for us 
And so that's where I am at the moment. I'm back from India. I'm just having a break because uh, naturally with lockdown for everyone, we can't have any shows. So I'm just doing a little bit of thinking about how I can share that passion with others. And so what I've started very recently is a website that is for people who can't get to meetings or don't want to go to meetings. They don't want to be in that kind of structure. They're nervous about their skills, whatever it is, whatever reason it is that they don't want to go to a formal meeting and learn things, they can now learn it online. So that's where I am in a nutshell. That is so (laughs) awesome. I love like that just flowed so beautifully, the journey from where you were to where you are now. And it's just like, it was a smooth transition, which is awesome. And do you actually still remember the first like art design, the floor art you've ever made? Uh, unfortunately, I have photos of the first ones <laughs> I did. And I look back, I thought they were so wonderful. But they were, you know, they, they were starting out designs, as everyone has. And they actually, the, the first one I did won a prize. It was a design of Australian native plants in something other than a vase. And I used a dog's bowl, a water bowl, and because it was terracotta and it had some interesting things on the outside. But I used it mostly because the plant material, the Australian plant material, very much grows in its own direction. It never particularly grows straight lines. So where you might have something like a rose that has a beautiful straight stem, our Australian natives, because of, I guess, the conditions that they grow in, they, they often have kinks and turns in them. So I had the plant material that I'd chosen to use, and I thought it's going to have to go in something that's round. I can't use a vase. What else can I use? Look around the house. What else can I use? And, you know, the dog bowl was convenient and the dog managed without for, without for a day. And uh, I got a second place. And I was just so thrilled to have been recognised that, it, you know, there was no turning back. <laughs> I'm competitive by nature. And so even in my hobby, I had to have something that allowed me that competitive outlet. While you're saying that, I like had so many follow-up questions to everything you're saying. Oh, this is going to be a great conversation. I already feel it. But before we move too, too far forward, I'm sure people are like, oh, well, I would love to learn more about Kim and where I can find her. So on that note, do you have any social media links, websites, or even projects you're working on so people can come show some love? So I, certainly I have the, the usual social media links, but the best place I think for people to start about me is my name site. So it's kimbailey.com and it's not the usual spelling of Bailey. So it's K-I-M-B-A-I-L-L-I-E.com. And that will give you an indication of not just the floral art stuff, but some of the other things that I do. I had what I didn't tell you in my journey is that one of the things I fell into just out of a need almost, was a a book repair business that was mobile. So it was called the Book Ambulance. And on on my name site, there's a link to that, which will give you a whole host of ways that you can repair paperbacks or hardback books that you might have that you really want to keep. So that's just an an aside. The website also has links to my public speaking, coaching, and also to the podcast that I do that is for senior executives. That is so wonderful. You know what? I'm going to share all those, put in the description below so people can come show some love, support. And you know what? Now I have to be my best behavior because, you know, you're a public speaker (laughs) and you train people. So I have to announce the, present myself pretty well. See, I'm stuttering. I'm not doing too well. I used to be a tour guide and uh, yeah, so this is, this pressure's on. So uh, worst case, I'll just switch to French. So uh, 
<laughs> so I look less like a fool. I, I only have high school French, so you know, but let's not go there. <laughs> we'll, we'll speak in uh, bumps and sign language. I don't speak sign language, so uh, we'll speak by signals with smoke. But Australia and Canada are quite far apart, so you might uh, have some delay. <laughs> But you were talking about uh, when you started off, you used this dog bowl, like you were just trying to figure out, oh, I need a, a bowl for the flowers or something to just contain the flowers. On that note, ever since you did that, have you started using other objects just to like think, oh, thinking outside the box? Absolutely. It's one of my trademarks is that I don't use the normal things that most of the other competitors will use because a lot of the competitors have come through a floristry background or they have formal training in flower arranging for one reason or another, and I don't. I obviously come from the design and the structure background, and so one of the things that intrigues me about this hobby is that it is called floral art for a reason. It is art with flowers or art in, in essence with plant material because we don't just have to use flowers. And some cases in competition, there will be categories where you're not allowed to use flowers. You have to use the foliage and the leaves or something else. So if I'm walking or if I'm out and about, I will see things. And I think my family are just exasperated with me because I'll we'll be out somewhere and I'll look at something and I'll say, oh, that'd be good. And it's like roll the eyes and I'll know there's no room in the shed, there's no room in the house, there's no room in the garage, you know. Not again, mum, you know, that, that sort of thing. But I have used and I continue to use anything that is plant or plant material that I find an interesting shape or tells me a story or I, I just put it aside because I think I might be able to use it one day. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen this or you would even participate in this, but maybe if you've ever been to Ottawa or Canada, maybe not. But we have this little event. It started recently where they do this floral art, but these structures are massive. Like they do shapes of like a human or a horse, but it's like flowers and leaves and stuff like that. Have you ever did do something like that? And if not, do you want to give that a try? The most impressive one I have to say is in the Netherlands and that it's a parade. So they're actually these, these huge floats that are made completely generally with dahlias with, with a particular type of flower. And that's normally held every year. I have been to Canada uh, on my way to Barbados, so not for very long. Uh, <laughs> I was in transit uh, in Toronto, but I had a day in Vancouver, and I, that would be my second home. If I could have a home in Canada, that's where it would be. <laughs> I just fell in love with Vancouver. It was a perfect summer day. I got the bus around the city, and then it dropped me off at Stanley Park, and I walked around Stanley Park, and I just stood there and I thought, City behind me, all this magnificent water, and then over there, there's, there's snow on those mountains. You know, where else <laughs> could you have? It was just magnificent. So I, I do love it. I do envy you the opportunity. I know it's a massive country like it is here. There's beauty everywhere, and there's floral art everywhere. Speaking of which, floral art, there's a lot of different types of flowers you could use. For you, do you have preferred flowers you like to use for your art? I do prefer the Australian natives simply, I think, because they give me that structural difference and, and tell me a better story. We're also very fortunate in that most of the Australian natives 
will last a reasonable amount of time without water. So it makes it easier to design something for a competition because you're not worried about how are they getting their water because they, they don't have a water source. With a competition, uh, anything, any plant material that you use, it, in terms, in technical terms, it has to remain turgid, which means it, it should be full of moisture for the duration of the show. So sometimes they can be on display for four days. Sometimes it's only a day. So for, to be able to use something that doesn't require a water source gives you a bit more freedom in terms of the arrangement that you're doing, the art that you're creating. And on that note, are there some flowers that are harder to use, but they're just so beautiful you want to use it? Because I, I did an episode a while ago of somebody who does, uh, who grows plants, a lot of plants in their uh, house. And she has this one flower, it's called the fainting flower, where if you don't give it enough water, it will pretend to faint and die. Have you, <laughs> are there flowers like that? So I think that frangipanis are probably the one that I would love to be able to use. Here they're only in flower for maybe a month at a time and they have a very, they don't really have a stem that you can put in water. But what I've discovered reasonably recently is that if you take the flower off the plant and put it on a toothpick and then put it in your arrangement, it will take up the water through the toothpick. So it's a, it's a technique that we've started to use for, for a lot of flowers that don't take up water particularly well and it extends the where you can place them in an arrangement as well. If they're on a, a toothpick or a skewer, then you can get them into a different spot rather than have to get them into where that actual water is. That is so cool. I, I don't know if that was done on purpose or an accident, but that's that's a pretty cool technique. I love the ingenuity of it. It's just thinking, well, I want it to stand out and then it absorbs water as well, like two birds, one stone. Yep, yep, perfect. And, you know, flowers have a lot of different colors. It's all like your hair is very vivid. It's very inviting. It's very welcoming. So for you, what are your preferred colors to use? Are there colors that you use more often because you're more attracted to them or you just like using any color? I would have to say that I'm probably, I move into the purples more than anything. But that said, there's not a whole lot of purple in the Australian native plant material. So if I'm using the Australian natives, then it's the oranges and yellows and browns, and that's just because the, that's what I see around me and that's what tells me the story that I want to repeat. But if I had a choice, I'd, I'd go with purple. Yeah, purple's a good color. I, I believe back a long time ago, it was one of the royal colors, if I'm not mistaken. Let's go with that. Let's say yes, I mean, it's been like Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. This is an accurate podcast where everything we're, I'm saying is facts. Absolutely. I, I, I never lied. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> And I'm sure there's special tools you use as well. It's not just a pair of scissors. There's ways to just hold things up like toothpicks. And But there's other types of tools you use to make the display beautiful. So for you, what is your in your arsenal of, I wouldn't call them weapons, but uh, equipment? The, the things I can't do without. Yeah, a knife, um, secateurs for cutting the, the woodier stems and cable ties. Cable ties, you can do pretty much everything, include, including making a structure if you need to. Uh, and you can get them in all colors so they can match the design that you're doing. It, it's interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting question because this series that I've just started to do for people who are, who are interested or have some sort of desire to do something with the flowers in their garden, I, the first video I did was about the tools that you need to use. And in that I talked about really all you need is a knife, a pair of scissors, you know, there are some, some things that are good to have as you go through your own journey in floral art, but essentially you can start out with not anything in particular. The 
the tools, I guess, that people use are not so much for the arrangements. It's more for making sure that we keep within sizes or dimensions of designs because in a competition we're given a particular size that we have to follow or, or have the design within. And so it can the, the ones that are most problematic for me are the miniatures and the petite. So a miniature has to fall into a cube the so, four centimetres, so uh, ten centimetres, so four inches. So height, width, depth, it's got to fit into that space. And a petite is a little bit more confusing because every organisation has a different definition of the sizing. So you need to have like a, a frame that you, and I make mine out of cardboard, so that I can put it over the design and make sure that it still fits within that size. So a petite is between four centimetres and 25 centimetres generally, although it can be 23 or 22. And and so you're up to about 10 inches, I guess. And on that note, we talked about the smallest things you can create for competitions and just create. What is the biggest floor art you have ever created? So the biggest one that I have done is in a competition that we have here particularly but around the world and it's a it fits into a two meter cube so it's two meters width two meters depth two meters high wow it's a really interesting competition that particular one because it's what is known as an impose so every competitor gets the same material we don't have to we can't do it beforehand can't do anything beforehand don't even often we don't know the topic beforehand we're told 15 minutes before the competition starts, we're told the topic. And then on a set time, we get given a box that has all of the plant equipment, all of the mechanics, all of the uh, sundries we might need to use, so wires or cable ties or those sorts of things. And we have generally three hours to put something together against the title that we've been given. That's that's impressive. Like the speed and also two meters by two meters by two meters. You're building a forest at that point. <laughs> that is yes. <laughs> the judges get lost in there trying to figure out where everybody is. You know what? I I would love to see that. Is that on your website as well? Uh, there should be some photos of it. The, the, you know, what would normally happen for the competition is that the staging, so what you have to put the design on, would be there already. So one year it was this massive uh, metal screen, and that's my preferred staging material. So I was quite happy seeing that because I knew that I'd be able to do something with it the next year. It was three tree stumps. And I thought, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this. I didn't bring a drill. No one else has got a drill with them. What <laughs> am I going to do? Because they were only sort of low, so I still needed to go the two metres high to get the height in the design. So it really, really makes you think it's probably these days it's the competition that I like the most because it makes me think on the spot with the material that's there. You know, I don't have the luxury of, thinking and, and chopping and changing a design. It's like you've got this amount of time, it's got to be put together, and it's got to tell the judges the story. You're you're really good at describing it very vividly, and I, I have a horrible imagination, but I can imagine somewhat, but I'm sure once I see it on your website, it's going to be much, much better than my lazy imagination. <laughs> but that's really cool. And speaking about imagination, there is the sense of inspiration to create new projects, and I'm sure you're very imaginative. And so for you, where do you pull your inspiration to start a new project when it's not a competition, just casually, where you're not stressed to do it in a certain amount of time? Often it's that I will see something in, if, whether I'm walking or if I'm going through the material that I've got uh, stored, 
and I'll see a piece of bark or I'll see a palm spade, so the, the inflorescence that comes out of the palm trees or a branch that's curled over or a flower that's that looks interesting and I'll think, you know, I wonder what is the story that that is telling me and what is the story that I can weave around it because for me being so competitive, it's all about practice in a sense. So I, I like to keep my brain thinking in terms of how I would have to think if it was a competition. Uh, one of the biggest competitions that we have here in this country runs for two weeks and it is uh, six or seven designs every second day. So that's a massive amount of preparation that I have to do beforehand to actually have an idea of what I'm going to do for each time because it's, it's not locally close to me. So it means a drive of two hours to get there, put the, the designs together, wait for the judging, come back, have a sleep in the afternoon and then get ready for the next day. So it, it helps me to be thinking about designs and what I could do with plant material all of the time. And have you ever been a judge yourself? No, it's not an, an area that I'm really interested in pursuing. I have been asked to do the judges training. It is a, a qualification that you need to do. And in terms of the, the levels that we would judge going from local up to, to world, that side of things, I just don't want to put myself in a position of having to choose things. It, it, you know, everyone has a different view of art and this is art and I'm not comfortable doing the judging of art because while I look at it from my terms, even though we have principles and elements of design that we judge on, every country judges a little bit differently. So some we use a point score here, so we give everything within those principles and elements some points, but that's not the way they do it in the UK. And I think even in Canada it's done a little differently and where they use a different system altogether. That All of that said, though, I will do local shows where they're not where it's people who are not interested in anything other than the local community. And I can do that based on using those principles and elements, but I can give them some personal feedback on what they could do to make the design look a bit different. And sometimes it's as simple as how they place it on the bench. You know, we have a tendency, if we've got a something that we want people to look at and we want them to look at it in a certain way, then we're, the, you know, the edge of the bench is straight. So we put our design parallel to that, and that's not always the best angle for a design. So sometimes just turning a design five degrees, ten degrees, one way or the other will give it a whole different dimension. So that sort of stuff I like to be able to give people feedback on so they can see themselves and they're learning and they're appreciating what they've done without it being judgmental in any way. And um, I would imagine as well, the lighting plays a big role, like you're saying, depending on the angle. So on that note, are most of the competitions indoors or outdoors? They're mostly indoors. They're, and lighting can be an issue because it, there's no purpose-built hall that's right for floral art, as there is not you know, in terms of an art gallery. So if we look at where they would normally hold competitions Extra lighting often is brought in so that they can be lit from all different angles. There is a, an element that is done outside and that is a, a different kind of floral art. It's called land art and it is done on a much bigger scale. So it would use real timber and trees and, and incorporate those into the art that they're doing. Not so much in competition because it really depends on being able to get out into that kind of an environment and do things with it. 
And for you, when you do your competitions, but also when you do it in your free time as your hobby as well, well, I guess they're both your hobbies. Do you prefer doing it alone or do you enjoy doing it with somebody else? No, I much prefer doing it alone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't play well with others. <laughs> it's my time for me. And I think that, that what interests me about your podcast and about what you're doing is that you're allowing people to give themselves permission to do something for themselves, to do something that they that consumes them, that interests them, that, that gives them passion that they might not have in any other arena that, or that they don't allow themselves to have in any other arena. And I see that, you know, in my corporate work, I see people not allowing themselves to have time off. They don't give themselves permission to not think about work. And so having a hobby, having something that you throw yourself into is a really, really good thing across the board. So, yes, I do it on my own. <laughs> I do. I am involved in other organisations. I am involved in the local organisations here. I am the president of the Australian Association. And so I, I do interact with people on a certain level in those organisations. But the designing, the creating, the immersion in the hobby, I prefer to do on my own. I completely understand where you're coming from. Like for this podcast, I... I do everything on my own. It's not because I don't like working with other people. It's just, you know, it's my little time for myself and I can go at my own pace, take a break when I want. Uh, I judge myself. I put a mirror right in front of my uh, computer, like right beside my computer screen. And uh, the guy in the mirror judges me a lot, but you know, <laughs> but no, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. And so on that note, what would you say is the best part about floral art on a personal and an emotional level? It challenges me and it challenges me on a different level to anything else that I've ever done. I'm not good at it by my standards. I am acceptable at it by international standards <laughs> in that I have, I have won awards internationally. But, you know, it, we have a saying here, uh, one day a rooster, next day a feather duster, that pretty much sums up my activities in floral art some days I'm really good at it and some days I look at it and I think why did you even bother and and that's good for me that's that's it keeps me keen it keeps me thinking I can do this I just need to to be more disciplined about it I need to think about it I need to find a way to cut out the the external noise and so one of the things I've been doing in competitions is something that I picked up from another uh, Canadian in fact is that she uses over-the-head earphones when she's creating her designs for the competition. Now, I was using earbuds and, of course, no one took any notice of them. They just continued to talk to me and I continued to be polite and talk and I'd get distracted and I wouldn't finish off the designs the way I had thought about them. So the over-the-head earphones sends a message to everyone else, do not disturb. <laughs> and so I've, I've done better in doing my competition designs that way. And I've also found that more preparation doesn't work for me, that if I think about a design for too long, I get tired of it or I get complacent or I get to think, well, I'll finish it off when I get to the, the actual staging of the competition. So I do a little bit of preparation now and then I focus on the time that I'm there and, you know, let's make this work. We seem to have the same train of thought. Like for this podcast, before we did the interview, I sent in some questions just to have a structure. But I'm sure by now you've realized, wait, Alex, that question wasn't in there. I've asked a lot of random questions, but it just <laughs> it's that creative aspect and it makes things more engaging and it allows you to think on the spot. 
And it applies for this podcast and of course for Floor. So yeah, this is we're building on our friendship right now. That's basically what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and I also found another solution. If you want people to stay much further away from you, put subwoofers on your shoulders. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> Pretty hard when you use that handsaw though, you know. It's just like <laughs> which hand do I use? <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, exactly. They'll they'll stay way back if you put those. So you were talking about challenges and how you enjoyed the challenge. What was your biggest challenge when you first started doing floral art? The biggest challenge is knowing where to start. You go to these shows, you see these magnificent designs and you know, your head says, I would love to do that, but I don't know where to start. And I, I knew that was the case. And I, as for me, I eased into it because of that particular design that I did first up, the one that was not in a vase. So I knew that I could, I didn't have to make it look a certain way. If you, if you join a, an organization or a group, you'll often be bombarded with the rules and the regulations and this kind of design and that kind of design. And you can't have more than three flowers in this and all that. And it overwhelms people that thinking about that and reflecting on that in this time where we haven't had competitions led me to doing the series about if you want to start out, this is about use the tools that you've got at home, walk around the house, pick up that ice cream container, pick up that pencil case, what, whatever else it is, and I'll show you how you can use the things that are around the house with things that you pick from the garden or you pick up when you're out walking, whatever it is, and let's just make it simple and let's just introduce you to the idea of what looks good, what doesn't look good. And when you go to a meeting, they'll talk about balance and colour and rhythm and texture. And for most people, they're concepts that they need to understand before they look at it in terms of the flower arrangement that they're doing. So the, the videos talk about when you look at a, a flower arrangement and you know that something's not quite right. So say you, you got given flowers or you brought them at the store and you brought them home and you put them in a vase that you had and it just doesn't look right. And so you say to yourself, I can't do this. I can't do anything with flowers. I haven't got a creative bone in my body. Uh, I, there's just no point. But often what it is, is our eye is looking for balance. It's looking for symmetry sometimes. So if you've got a vase, for example, that is a, a conical shape, a lot of households here have vases that they inherited that are cut glass, and so they're a conical shape. And if you put a bunch of flowers that you get from the shop in it or you pick, it's not going to match that shape. It's not going to be the, the mirror image of that shape. So in the video I talk about the height, so making sure that you – at least match the height of the vase with the flowers that you've got in it and what you can do to bring them up if they're too tall or too short. But but it's about that shape. So if you're putting it into a very formal structured vase or container, then, then the flowers need to be in that formal structured shape as well for our eyes to feel like it's balanced. And that's what our brain is being told is that what's wrong with it is that it just doesn't match. But if you, for example, then you go to something where you use it more natural products so you use a bit of driftwood or the dog bowl or something else a bit of bark that you've picked up you can be a bit freer with the plant material and but again it's about how does your eye move through the design is it is do you follow the shape of the bark for example and then your eye gets taken out of the design so 
that's not the right thing, obviously. So you've got to have things that bring you or keep you in the design. That sort of stuff, if you explain to people that that's what they're seeing and that's what their brain is saying is not right, and you show them the little things that they can do with the things that they've got around the house, then they're going to build their confidence, feel more like they can do it or they can give it a try. And it is all about trial and error. You know, this is 15 years I've been going and I'm really only getting to a point where I'm comfortable with my design style. For a long time, I tried to do all of the traditional design, so things that you would see in the churches or big events, and that's just not me. I, I just My brain just doesn't work that way. I'm much more in the organic and fluid movement of designs. And so it's taken me this long to recognise that I don't have to do the other stuff, that I can do what I'm comfortable doing and just compete if I want to in those areas, not try and do everything and not try and be everything, but settle on something that works for me and then just fine-tune that to my heart's content. It really does sound like you found your perfect balance to make yourself enjoy your hobby, be creative, be passionate, find the right path that works best for you. You don't have to follow in anybody else's shoe. But this is a question I still have to ask. I feel like the I could be wrong. I feel like you don't have any, but what is your current biggest challenge? My current biggest challenge, and, and is always a challenge with floral art, is to limit the amount of <laughs> entries that I think I should put in. Uh, I tend to get all excited when I see a what, what we call a schedule, so the list of the titles that comes out for the show, and I'll look at it and I'll think, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. And, and then I've put myself in and I've said I'll do all of these designs and then I realise that I've probably only got four or five hours to put all of these designs together you know, if I can do a little bit of preparation beforehand, it's still going to take me a minimum of an hour for each design. And if I use the world show that I've just been to as an example, I had three designs that, that I had been invited to do. So it wasn't a case of me overstating my mark. I just said, yes, I'll do the three. And the first design, so, and I had six hours to put the three designs together. So I thought two hours each, that's pretty good. We could have 40% of our design prepared beforehand so I thought well that's okay but still I was traveling to India so I couldn't do a whole lot beforehand because I still had to transport it so the, the one design that I was most happy with I did probably I did as much of the 40 percent as I could it was a hanging design so I had to put all the individual components together and then hang it in the, the space and it took me three hours to put that together and I still hadn't started the other two because it broke in the middle of when I was putting it together and so you're under this pressure and stress of time and designs and making something work that I had set my heart on this was my best design that I could possibly put up and it was broken Uh, so I had to uh, deal with that uh, emotional uh, challenge as well as the, the the pressure of putting the other designs together. So I got another design, the second design I put together, and the third one I just had to say to the organisers, I don't have time, I can't do this. And so I'd taken half of the equipment with me, so there was all of the that disappointment and the roller coaster of the excitement of doing the, the the competition and the the downside of it of not being able to complete the designs that I had put myself in for. So my biggest challenge always has been to limit and to understand my limitations in terms of of time and the designs. 
I'm still working on it. Well, you know, you're going to get there. And, you know, imagine it's just tomorrow. Hey, I got there. Alex, I got there. Oh, great. <laughs> it's just a, this podcast has magical powers. <laughs> Once you say it out loud, you mentioned something else very important. You talked about stress. And for you, do you get stressed often when you do floor art? And if you do, what do you do to just unwind? Uh, absolutely. I get stressed about it. Uh, I get stressed so, not so much uh, when I'm actually in the room putting the design together. But it's the probably the two or three hours beforehand where I'm thinking, have I got everything? What else can I do? What if this goes wrong? And then I've still got to drive to get there, th those sorts of things. But once I'm in the moment, so to speak, it's about the design. I will, if, if things aren't working out, I did have a, a period of time where I got quite irritated by them and would try and work and work and work at it and make it work and then not have something that was up to the standard that I would expect to put into a competition. So I learned about three years ago just to walk away. If it's not working and it won't work and you're at the limit of your time, just walk away from it and put it out of your mind. Now, that, now that's like anything that you say to yourself, just put it out of your mind is a really hard thing to do. I guess the easiest transition for me has been to keep I keep a, a diary now of the design so I'll do a rough sketch and I'll do the components that I need to use in it so if I have something that doesn't work out that has caused me stress for one reason or another then I'll put down my comments against that design and say remember next time don't use this do it this way whatever else it is so still try and use it as a learning exercise uh, sometimes it's successful, sometimes it's not. <laughs> so still challenges there. That's another challenge for me is dealing with the disappointment and the stress. <laughs> the, those sorts of arenas, that's stresses that you put on yourself. You know, it's about you wanting to perform to a level that you've decided is the level that you need to perform at. And sometimes you have to accept that that's not going to be the case this time around. It's not a judgment on you across the board. It's just in this instance, at this time, this didn't happen. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but for me, sometimes I feel like Murphy's law applies a lot where if something <laughs> goes wrong, it's, it just keeps going wrong. It just, it keeps falling apart. And I'm like, why, why does it keep happening? What is going on? And then as you're like yourself, I will also walk away. Does that ever happen to you where it just kept going wrong? Yes, yeah, indeed. <laughs> I guess the, the encouraging thing out of that is that when you're at a competition and, and often it's the same or similar people that you'll see at lots of competitions, you know that it's not just you. You know that it'll happen to someone else and you know what they're feeling and you know what they're going through. So you're not unique in that situation. So the stresses that we might feel are shared stresses. And so that's helpful too. And actually on that note, how is the floral community around you? Very strong. Uh, probably in this country, not as strong as some of the others. The, the, and I think for a lot of that, it's just the distance that's involved. Yeah, as, as it is in Canada, you know, we live and work and exist in across vast distances in our countries. So to come together for competitions is an exciting time worldwide. It's very strong. The, there are in the World Association 31 countries that were represented in this last world show. Some of them have upwards of 100,000 members and some only have 100. 
you know, so Barbados, which hosted the World Show, only has 127 members. So it was a huge exercise for them to do. Wonderful community, very dedicated. And each of the countries has a different style. So it's always exciting to see the representation of the membership and to see what they're doing because some countries don't have flowers. You know, the, the Middle Eastern countries, Pakistan, they, they don't have flowers. They don't have access to flowers. So their floral art is very different to what the UK produces or any of the European countries that do have access to lots of flowers. That's pretty cool that every country tries to create their own perspective of flower art due to cultural backgrounds. So has it ever happened that you've pulled inspiration from another country into your art? So like kind of do like a, a hybrid of your knowledge and then somebody else's knowledge to create something new? I, I would say that mine is probably mostly influenced by Ikebana, by the Japanese traditional uh, floral art. Ikebana is not used in our realms of floral art because it is very much a, a personal thing. It's not supposed to be done for competition. So, But they, the, the floral artists in Japan have metamorphosed the, the traditional Ikebana into something that is more about art and flowers and it's minimalist which i enjoy and so it showcases the plant material that you're using the uh, probably the other area other country that's had most influence for me is new zealand because new zealand uses a lot of their natural foliage so and right down to seaweed and seaweed is my little pet topic at the moment because i'm enjoying I'm going into a can you bleach it mode. So I'm bleached, dried and bleached seaweed, and that was actually what I used in Barbados that I, I won an award for. But it's the sort of material, because there's so many different kinds of seaweed, and it bleaches at different rates. So you get this wonderful colour variation that's still plant material. You can still use it in all of your designs, but it gives a whole different element and a different smell sometimes to the actual <laughs> design that you do. Actually, speaking about like smells, have you ever integrated like let's say lights into your floor art? The, I did a, a demonstration in down on the south coast of uh, New South Wales, where I am, uh, in November last year, and we didn't use light so much as we used music. So this was a place that was on the coast, and there were three of us doing the introductory demonstration, and the theme of the show was from the rainforest to the sea. So one of us did a rainforest design and she had the raindrops keep falling on my head as her background music. And I, I did the seaside and so I had Under the Boardwalk playing as my background music and then the combining design that brought the three together was the sun. And so she had Here Comes the Sun, obviously, as her background music. In New Zealand, they actually produced theatrical shows that are lights, sound, and in, they incorporate gymnasts or circus acts as well as the floral demonstrations. That is so cool. My, my, my imagination is just running wild right now. Like I'm just thinking of a combination between floral art and like robotics. So kind of like making a wave, but instead of being water, you just see flowers being in the wave. Uh, yep. Sometimes I have a good imagination. Sometimes, sometimes it's really bad, but this is a good one. This is a good uh, good idea that I'm having. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll just get in touch with the uh, garden clubs of Aurora and just get them to contact you and they'll drag you in and you'll be doing floral art before the week's out. <laughs> it won't be as good during the wintertime, but since it's indoors, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> 
Now, another really important that I have to ask is what are some misconceptions about people who do floral art? I guess the biggest view is that it's for old ladies because the floral art it, it come, came from flower arranging and traditionally, I guess if we go back a generation or two generations, people who did the flowers were the ladies who did the flowers at church and that was about the extent of flower arranging. Other than that, the other one, another misconception I guess is that it's just for florists and really it is for people who want to create art with flowers or with plant material. Yeah, yeah, and anybody can do it as well. It's the idea that it's art. Somebody who's a painter can do it one day. Somebody like me who knows absolutely nothing about creating something beautiful can do it. And I won't be, I promise I won't be good, but I can do it. <laughs> I know Kim will be judging me like, Alex, no, don't do that, Alex. No, you're going to hurt yourself. But uh, <laughs> anything is possible. The world is an open place. The internet helps out. And there's wonderful people like Kim sharing very, very important information and knowledgeable stuff like she's doing right now on this podcast. Thank you. And talking about teaching and showing new things, what has flor floral art taught you in life? Patience. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what it has taught me is that, that there is always an opportunity to learn, that the world provides us with opportunity everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're just going for a walk around the block or you're, you're crossing the globe that there is art in everything that you see and no bit of a plant needs to be wasted, that the dried form of leaves can be used, the roots can be used. There is, I guess, the, the bottom line for me is that there is art everywhere. You just got to see it. So uh, if you ever plan to come to Canada during the fall season, I'm sure you, I can see you just imagining how to do floral art with all the leaves changing colors. <laughs> In fact, the background of the screen that I'm looking at is a <laughs> is an autumnal scene from somewhere that looks like it must be Canada because it goes from the snow at the top through the reds and, and oranges and yellows down to the water. So yes, I'm quite fond of this background. <laughs> well, I will see it one day. <laughs> exactly. One day, one day it'll be here and all the leaves will be ready for you. They're like, pick me, pick me for your art. <laughs> and then, then the, the dilemma will be that I won't be able to bring them back. So I'm going to have to do, just sort of travel around and do random flower arrangements and just leave them somewhere. And that's, that's a, another thing that's probably interesting is that one of the movements that happens around the world in June is a thing called lonely bouquets and people everywhere regardless of whether it's their flowers that come out of their garden or they bought them or they whoever, they put a little bouquet together, just a hand size one, and just leave it in random places with a little tag that says, please take me, uh, have a happy day, I'm a lonely bouquet, I need your help. And, and people will take photos of where they picked it up and think there's generally it's anonymous. So they just take the photos and put them up and say, you know, thank you, whoever left the bouquet, I'm really enjoying it. That's cool. I love that. That's like the little touch of humanity just thrown into it saying, hey, somebody needs some love. Here's some love. And that kind of reminds me of like here in Ottawa, every May, we have something called the Tulip Festival where millions of tulips are donated from the Netherlands to uh, Canada. There's a whole historic background about it, but there's like a beautiful arrangement of tulips planted around the city. And I don't think it's going to happen this year, but uh, every year I brought my wife to see it and she loved it. Yes, yeah. It's just see, and that's what happens is that plants have a an ability to change our mood one way or another. 
And, and what we do with floral art is that we incorporate some of ourselves into what we're doing to share that experience. I'm sure if people go check out your website, they're going to just be moved by the amazing art because you have worked on it for many years. So I'm sure you have some pretty awesome creations and I'm actually really excited to see it after. I'm going to show it off to my wife. I always do show off everything after my after every episode. I'm like, hey, Lonnie, look at this kiss. Look what I just talked about. And this one, she will appreciate this for sure. She'll be amazed that you know so much about floral art in such a short period of time. You know what? I'm going to learn as well. And <laughs> you're going to watch me do my <laughs> attempt of floral art. I'm like, yes, this here, this here, a dandelion. Sure. Why not? That's a weed, but sure. Well, it's, it's interesting about weeds because we, here in this country, we have a, a weed register. So sometimes there are plants or, or flowers that we can't use in a certain area. So we have to actually look at that every time we compete to see which things can we use, which can't we use. And there's a, a particular plant, an Arab lily, which is a, a white lily. You'll, you'll, you'll know it if you see a photo of it. Uh, and I, I love using them because you can manipulate them. You can, you can get lovely curves out of them. But many of the areas in this country, I can't use them. And so I've had to adapt and think of other things I can use. And it's always, a, yeah, there's a little bit of irritation each time because I think, oh, that would look so good. Oh, no, I can't use it. Ah. So you do get to use everything or try everything out once. And now, I don't know if this is acceptable in competitive matches, but I've seen some videos in the past online of people using, let's say, I think it's tulips or not tulips, but roses that are white and use food coloring in the water to change the color. Is that something that's acceptable or frowned upon? Uh, you can, it depends on the rules for the, that particular competition. Some will say that you can, they can be artificially colored uh, and some they can't. Often you can use artificially colored, but it mustn't dominate in the design. The only thing you can't use anywhere, anytime is artificial flowers. And I could also imagine uh, you can use paint as well, just to paint the actual petals a different color. Or is that the thing you can do? I don't know. <laughs> you can. And I've seen designs that have been completely spray painted one color. I can't say I appreciate them, but I have seen them. <laughs> <laughs> again, again, it comes down to the local rules for that particular competition, whether you can or not. And uh, so if we've, you've shared so much information and I'm sure people are super interested at this point. And for them, do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in picking this up as a hobby? Just try it. Just, you know, start with the things that you have easy access to. Don't go out and buy a whole lot of stuff and think I'll, I'll create something that looks like it came out of a competition. Have a look around you and actually get to know shapes and sizes and, and just try it. Just play with it, really. It, it's as simple as making the start, taking that first step. Like with anything, first step's always the hardest. Once you've taken the step, there's no looking back. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you don't need to do a two meter by two meter by two meter. You can do uh, a little 10 centimeter just to start off. <laughs> no, no, see, I wouldn't recommend doing the smaller ones. I've actually stopped <laughs> because they are so fiddly and so frustrating. And I just, I, my hands just don't work at that size. I'm much happier. So I would suggest people start off with something that's that sort of A4 size, book size, uh, and work with that so that you can actually see around it and then work yourself into the big and the small because they they have their own peculiarities. So in this case, I guess it is better to start off with a bigger one, that, well, not necessarily two meters by two meters, but okay, so good to know. If I were to try it, I'm going to start bigger 
And instead, I wouldn't use a small one or use little tweezers because I cannot do small things. I, I can barely untie knots. So <laughs> no, no, I, I don't recommend the miniature stuff until you're really comfortable with what you're doing because you put one placement in the wrong spot and that's it. You've got to start completely over again because you, you destroy the medium that's actually holding the design together. So no, don't do the small stuff first. You guys listen to Kim. She is speaking the truth. She has 15 years of experience. Uh, don't listen to Alex. Alex has no years of experience. <laughs> I have many years of experience of just chit-chatting. Uh, Alex is going to put up the photos of what he does. <laughs> it's going to be like, I tried. That's going to be the caption of my photo. <laughs> that's the start. That's the caption of my life. At this point, I tried. <laughs> And uh, so we talked about this at the beginning of the episode, but I'll ask it again. Do you have any social media links, websites, or even projects that you'd love to share? Yeah. So as I said earlier, my name site is will probably give you the links easiest to all of the other things I do. I have a Facebook page called Floral Art Online, and there is also a website called floralartonline.com. And those are the, probably the main ones that will give you a start into what you're doing, and they have links to the other websites as well. That's perfect. I'll share that in the information below so people can just do, you know, what people do. Click, follow, love, share. You know, the, the, the basics of the internet at this point, right? Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> and now for the last question, the one that no one has been waiting for, but we all need. Do you have any questions for me about floral art? <laughs> have you come across it before? Um, yes. Yeah, I guess a three times, like where it's really stuck in my head that like, this is amazing. This is, is beautiful. It was that uh, thing I was talking about yeah, where I saw on the Gatineau side, which is the city right beside where I live, where they do these giant things that were at least three, four, five meters tall. That were just giant faces, uh, foxes. I'll send you the link afterwards, but I'm sure you'll be like, yes, Alex, I've seen this stuff before. You're, this is not new to me, but I always find it impressive, the creativity of how they arrange the flowers. And like you said, it tells a story, just the shape. It doesn't yes. have to be like a straight, straight line. Vertical, horizontal, it, it can go into angles, it can go in depth, it can pop out, it can have lights, it can have water flowing out of it. Like the one I saw had like a fountain and the, it was like a giant face and a hand and the water was just falling out of the hand. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Yeah, that's good. That's my only question to you. I just wondered whether you had heard about it before. I did. And I honestly, I love, I love anything related to art and I honestly cannot wait to see more once, you know, this whole thing is over. The, the thing we shall speak of, yes, <laughs> once that is over, I'd love to go out and see some more beautiful, beautiful floral art. Yeah, so if you do opportunity, the each year in March, the Garden Clubs of Toronto have a thing called Canada Blooms, which is a, a garden show, but it has a floral art element in it. And there is an international component of that. They invite 10 international designers to do designs, and they're the big designs, so the they're two metres high, a metre square. So that's usually at the end of March for Canadians who are listening. So uh, we missed it, didn't we? <laughs> I don't think they had it this year for some reason. <laughs> oh, yeah, we missed last year's one. That's what. That's how we're going to go. <laughs> You're looking forward to next year's one. I, I, I absolutely am. Uh, if, uh, if we're in Toronto, that's definitely going to be on my list. I always love enjoying – I love nature – and flowers, I've always enjoyed watching them. Like, I just look at the stem, I watch it, like, how it grows. And <laughs> like, my wife and I, like, when we go for walks, I see how, like, some, like, trees and flowers, like, grow around things. I'm like, look, honey, look at that. That's so cool. 
just the way it just like grew into the area, like how it adapted to around this hard surface. I'm fascinated by a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> and see, that's what I see. That's you know, I'll, I'll go for a walk and I'll see something and I'll think that just looks so twisted, turned, turned and twisted. And I know that there's going to be a, a competition class that's called twisted and turned at some point. So I'll just souvenir that and keep it for when I need it. It's interesting because at my parents' house, they have a brick house and the, the I think it was a flower that just kind of like ingrained itself in the bricks, but it was only going in between the cracks of the bricks. And then you would see the yeah. flowers and I was like, wow, that's cool. Nature's awesome. I just have to say that. I just love nature. And that's why we should enjoy it in whatever way we can. Exactly. So uh, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Kim, for coming on and just sharing all your, all your knowledge. This was an amazing conversation. Time just flew by. I wish it was warmer outside where I can actually see some flowers and more stuff, but it's spring. So we get the little, uh, little, little miniature flowers. They're the ones that fit in that 10 centimeter cube. <laughs> but soon we're going to have those bigger flowers that are just going to bloom everywhere. So once again, thank you so much, Kim. My pleasure. Great to talk to you, Alex. So if you guys want to learn more about Kim, you can go check her out. I'll put all the information below in the description. And if you'd like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you can send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you like the email, you know, you can leave a review. I always appreciate it. And if you want to show some more support, I also have Redbubble where I sell merchandise and I have a Patreon as well. It's not, you don't need to do it, but if you want to, sure. If you don't, I'm still going to release free episodes, so you're good to go. So once again, thank you so much, Kim. My pleasure. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care. <laughs>